The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and got a great show for you today. Uh, joined by my buddy, Casey Bubba. Uh, you should know him from the podcast world, but um, I was on his podcast recently, and he's been gracious enough to return the favor today. Uh, Bubba, how you doing? I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me. It's uh, always a blast uh, chatting with you, and it's uh, opposite sides this time, so it's kind of fun to to see what we can uh, talk about to get ready for 2024. Yeah, so the, the goal of uh, today's pod is to kind of, um, you know, we're going to look at Roster resource, some public projection systems, kind of the most the most public um, and, and popular public resources that people use uh, this time of year, and and see which players or, or situations on which teams might be um, an open buying opportunity based on players being under projected or over projected. Um, but first, I wanted to uh, oh, and I should let the listeners know this is brought to you by Fantrax. Of course, um, this time of year we're we're definitely repping fan tracks, love having them as a sponsor. Uh, but Bubba, what, uh, what's your current, how many drafts have you done so far? Um, I, I've officially completed 14. I am in the middle of number 15 right now. So it sounds pretty bad. Yes. But uh, you know how it goes. It's kind of worth it. It's kind of fun. So yeah, we're deep into it. Yeah. You and I are in a very similar place minus the gladiators. I see you've done five gladiators. Yep. Uh, I, I, decided to not do any gladiators this year not that they're not fun i just um just didn't really have time for it this year but uh i i'm in my seventh dc which you've done seven dcs i've done 150 you've done 350s so uh, you've done a little bit more than me but um similar ballpark of, of teams yeah it's been fun trying to uh watch the changes of uh, adp as we were talking about before the show and um it's definitely time to maybe shift out of the dc world here pretty soon yeah, I I uh, was just lamenting to you before we started recording that I just got uh, sniped on on Josh Naylor, and uh, I, I blame myself. I screwed I screwed up the order of players I took at the turn here, but um, it's a it's a more frustrating time of year to draft, uh, no question about it, than back in October, November, December. Um, you're just constantly getting you're fighting with uh, people that are pushing up players, and I'm I'm excited honestly for. Just a, a live in-person main event draft like that'll that'll feel like kind of um, <laughs> it'll weirdly feel like I have more control then. But um, okay, so we're gonna talk about we've each got five players um, or just kind of situations where we think 
either roster resource or public projection systems uh, might be wrong about. And of course, you know, you can get, you know, I, I strongly recommend subscribing to rotowire.com for um, really good depth charts, really good projected batting orders, really good projected starters grid. But we're going to reference roster resource because roster resource is a free resource. Um, and I strongly recommend supporting Fangraphs and getting their ad free membership as well. Um, you know, if you if you use Fangraphs throughout the season, that's that's really the least you could do if you can afford it. Um, but roster resource actually does affect ADP. It does affect the market because it's a free resource. It's the most popular um, public depth charts. And so, you know, obviously um, they, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic resource. We're not trying to pick anything apart with like, this is wrong. And like, how dare they get this wrong? We're just trying to find spots where we think they could be wrong. And there could be um, players that are getting overdrafted or potentially underdrafted. Um, so, I'm going to let you go with your five first um, so that uh, I'll have my, my five uh, last, but uh, who's the first player that you think might be uh, the projections or roster research might be wrong about this year. Um, it's not a, you know, maybe it's becoming a more popular name, but Michael Garcia of the Kansas city Royals stands out to me in a big way because this is the roster resource effect to me. They haven't projected it ninth for the Royals. And if he gets ninth for the Royals, his ADP makes more sense because it's going to lower his at-bats and all the, the upside he can bring to the table for you in fantasy. But you, I've talked to some some Royals guys on my preview shows. Uh, there's been some blurbs out there. They want Michael Garcia to lead off this year. That's what the Royals want. Um, and if that were to happen, per se, that's a gigantic shift in plate appearances and, and so much more, which now uh, just boosts Michael Garcia's overall counting stats like he's never going to be a world beater in power but maybe he sneaks into eight to ten home runs but more importantly you know he, he already put up 59 runs and 50 rbis last year maybe we're going to combine for you know 180 plus maybe cre creeping in on 100 runs scored which is tremendous a stat that kind of gets least in my world overlooked a bit and the big thing is is stolen bases like he put up 23 steals in 20, 123 games last year if you can lead him off we're talking, and especially in this steals environment, and we saw what Bobby Witt did at the top of the Royals lineup last year. Mikel Garcia, in theory, could get to 40. You wouldn't be shocked if he was leading off, got to 40 stolen bases. He hit 272 last year, so now you put a really solid batting average, which I know we, we talk about with Freeman and Michael Harris and others, that you, you put that many plate appearances behind that batting average now. It carries so much more weight. It's just, it's just a trickle-down effect. If he goes from projected ninth to leading off, with the stats he provides outside of power, he's now a very, very strong fantasy player, especially at a third base position, which is it's not like horrific like it, it was years ago, but it still has like its ebbs and flows of talent there. I know we'll talk about another third base when we both like later, but Michael Garcia, I think it's a fantasy boost if this playing time shift changes. And that's kind of what we're trying to speculate on at this point. So he's, he's a guy for me. Yeah. And, uh, the guy that roster resource has leading off is MJ Melendez. Um, Melendez led off in uh, 13 games last year. So it's not like he's a, just a very strong incumbent in that, that role. Uh, and something I love about Garcia um, as is the case with, you know, more and more third basemen every year, it seems is that he's just a really nice, like if you, if you were a little light on speed, or don't have as many steals as you you were hoping to have at that point in the draft. It's just so nice to be able to get 25, 30 steals from a guy that you can slide into your corner spot. 
big, big, big fan of the upside of him. He's kind of one I've had circled in these early drafts now to uh, hopefully take advantage of because if he starts leading off in spring training games, we all know this is about to shift in a few weeks. So I didn't have – I was looking um, before we get to your, your next guy, um, and, and I think that Garcia is a great one. Um, obviously, ninth to lead off is, is a huge difference. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree with um, the way Roster Resource has the outfield uh, depth chart in Casey shaking out, but I did just note that if you can like kind of correctly – project the playing time for like who's going to be their center fielder for instance yep. out of Kyle Isbell Drew Waters um that could be um quite useful oh, in yeah. um in the draft and holds at least uh, I kind of had been assuming it would be uh, Drew Waters in right field and then they bring in Hunter Renfro one of my least favorite signings of the offseason um and so now it's just obviously they, they didn't bring Hunter Renfro in to, to sit on the bench um so it's just that's that's a complicated situation. Just the outfield in Kansas City. Um, I wasn't going to have it as one of my my five situations because I don't necessarily think they have it wrong. But um, just you know, having a guy like Drew Waters, maybe even I know there's people that like Dyron Blanco. Um, you know, if one of those guys went from projected reserve to full time player, maybe Kyle Isbell is just not getting it done offensively, even though he is a good defender. Um, that would be great for for waters playing time if he was able to break through but um so far the renfro addition uh, has me cooling on waters a little bit yeah i've been i've been on the isbel side of that one because of the defense i think gives him the early nod but i've heard from many people what you just said is if he can't produce offensively which has question marks still with kyle isbel isbel then you definitely have waters and many other options in that outfield that make it murky but all coming at cheap adp so that's the beauty of dc is if you take a chance on one and they pan out like Isbell could be a 15, 15, 15, 20 guy. Waters has the skills too. just whoever gets that uh, role could be a, a nice little game changer late in your DCs. All right. Who's your second player you wanted to highlight? Okay. Now, since I love catchers and everybody knows this so much, I had to mention one because if you look at any projection site, majority of them have issues with catchers playing time to me. It's like the easiest one to look at. So I didn't want to do five catchers for everybody, but one that I'm in love with, we mentioned his brother earlier in the show. It's Bo Naylor, and they've already adjusted his playing time once since this first came out. He was projected for like 89, 90 games out the gate, and I just laughed at that. But Bo Naylor's projected, let's say, like the bat has him at 113, ATC 113, steamer 91 still. They have not adjusted at all. This is a guy that's going to be their primary catcher. I, I know they like Austin Hedges to be a defensive catcher. I get it. Like That's what he does, and maybe the Guardians are crazy enough to do this. I don't know. But in reality, it's got to be Bo Naylor. We saw what he did when he came up, uh, and he, once he got comfortable after a couple weeks or so with the Guardians, finished the year very strong, power, speed. I love everything he has to offer. I've said at times he's kind of he, – he has the potential, it seems like, the skill set you know way better than I do, being the prospect guy. He feels like he could be what everyone wanted Dalton Varsho to be in the power and speed department, maybe not to the max of that, but a better batting average too than Dalton Varsho can bring to the table. So I like Bo Naylor quite a bit. They haven't projected for, like I said, 113, 91 games. I think he plays like 125 to 130 at least, unless they really love Austin Hedges. But uh, it could come with a, an okay batting average and some power and speed that I think is very nice to find at the catching position and only 24. And if you want to get real picky, um, like Roster Resource hasn't had batting six behind Ramon Laureano. Let's be real. How long is Ramon Laureano going to play this season? Naylor can move up in that order a bit too, which – could be exciting. So I'm a big Bo Naylor fan, and I think this there's a little more juice on the 
on a juice and a squeeze there for uh, his projection numbers. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good call, and that's a um, yeah. Roster Resource has him as kind of an everyday player, but the projections are not projecting yep. that same level of plate appearances. And so, yeah, you you know, if you're using like an auction calculator tool, for instance, it's not going to be giving you. Um, and I agree with you, a, a accurate representation of the the playing time there for Bo Naylor. Um, you know, he's gotten better as a defender. Uh, over the last couple seasons. And I think that, you know, part of the reason they have Austin Hedges there is, is to be a, a coach um, as much as a backup, really. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, Bo Naylor, I mean, talked about him uh, a couple times this offseason, but uh, just such a high ceiling. Um, you know, even if he just did kind of what Dalton Varsha did, like last year, I think he's still a good a good pick where he's going. But he, like you said, he could be uh, better than that. Um, and just getting that speed again, like with Michael Garcia, getting speed from a non traditional position is uh, is great from a roster construction standpoint. So um, that's a that's a great one. Bo Naylor with the Guardians. Uh, who's your Who's your third guy? Uh, another player, and these are kind of if you just want to answer, these are kind of guys I have lots of shares of, so it makes it easy for me to discuss here. Uh, Chaz McCormick. And this, to me, um, the projections surprised me a bit because you look at roster resource and they have projected to be an everyday outfielder, not on the platoon, an everyday outfielder. And that's been the reports, too. Like early on out of Astros camp is Chaz McCormick is the everyday outfielder uh, at one of the three positions, most likely, I'm guessing, center field with the other players they have, but could be wrong. Um, but he went 22 and 19 last year with a 273 average in 115 games. Did he overachieve? Potentially. But we've seen like mediocre, like decent power, a little bit of speed, but speed came off in a big way last year. If you look at projection sites, they only have him playing like 123 to 127 games. On paper, he should be 145, 150 plus uh, in that theory to me at least. Almost went 2020 last year. And you look at the bad X, 17, 14, ATC, 19, 15, Steamer, 18, 13. The, the average drops a ton, which if you want to pick on anything, a 331 Babbitt, there should be some regression. I'm, I'm fine with that. But if he still hits 250 but plays so many more games than he played last year, why are we not still talking potential 2020 guy with Chaz McCormick? I know the projections aren't that far off, but it's still, like you mentioned, the auction calculator. These are things you got to factor in when you're kind of boosting things up. And just the extra games alone, even if you believe in the projection, give you that 2020 upside in a phenomenal offense in Houston. Like, I like Chaz McCormick a lot, and he's much farther down draft boards than I expect. Like, to get a 2020 potential player – where he's getting drafted to me as a, a circle on the draft board. Yeah, that's a really good call. Uh, McCormick is, you know, he, like he was worth almost four wins last year. So why why would we expect him to like be stuck kind of in that same 115 game role, especially when you look at the depth chart and it's not like they've got a bunch of guys that are going to be pushing him for him to kind of, be in this sort of like 80% role, like the projections kind of have him in, then you would be assuming that um, not only is Jake Myers playing almost every day, but then Mauricio Dubon is somehow, you know, getting starts over McCormick. Like it's just, they don't have, you know, whoever you want to say their fourth outfielder is or their fifth outfielder, these guys aren't going to be pushing Chaz McCormick. Yeah, so it's a great spot to be in, and again, phenomenal lineup like that. Astros team should score a ton of runs yet again. 
Yeah, so this is this is almost kind of like the drafting public um, making Chaz McCormick go out there and prove it again yep. after what he did last year. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like uh, 19 steals in 115 games for the Astros. You know, I wouldn't necessarily project him for 25 or 30, but I, I don't think you could completely rule out those types of numbers. Um, okay, who's your fourth guy? Okay, it's the guy I almost didn't put on here because I you thought maybe you might have him on your list or whatnot, but I know you like him a lot. I got really excited about him about a month or so ago, kind of digging into things. That's Noel V. Marte of the Cincinnati Reds, a name that's starting to get talked about a lot more on the uh, the old X there. So um, his ADP, I'd imagine, starts to slowly go up. I guess the only thing that maybe holds him back, roster resource has him batting sixth or seventh, which could check out because it's just a loaded Reds offense. Like that could be a thing. But at the same time, it's like projection sites haven't played 115 games. And I, I just don't understand what happens there unless there's a platoon I'm not aware of. But it feels like he's the everyday third baseman. You know, you might get a, a random Spencer steer day or somebody goes and plays third base or something. But it seems like it's Noel V. Marte's job to, to kind of run with at this point in time. There's other positions on that team that have a lot of hands there. But maybe Candelario goes there, but he feels like the first baseman to me. So Noelvi seems like the dude that should be getting way more than 115 games. And even at those games, they have him for like 13-13, give or take. We've seen um, some pop and some speed in the minors. And more importantly, what I was really impressed with, I know a small sample, only 35 games last year, hitting 316 in the bigs, like he was comfortable. Now, pitchers might try to adjust to him and, and throw some more off-speed pitches or whatnot. But he was very, very good, didn't, like striking out 20% in his first go-around, I think is strong. And, and the you, you would be able to attest his minor league uh, plate discipline metrics were outstanding. So that's a, that's a big plus. So I think Noel de Marte is a guy that um, is slowly creeping up draft boards as we get deeper into the draft season here. But he's another guy, the power, the speed, you throw in the batting average, he's going to be a run producer or scoring runs either way in Great American Small Park. So uh, he, he's a guy that 115 games is way too low for me in the projection world. Yeah, uh, I think when you have a team that's got this much hitting talent, the projection systems are just going to sort of hedge a little bit, especially on the guys that are not as proven as uh, everyday big leaguers. But you and I are aligned on Noel V. Marte. Like if you don't hedge and you just give him, you know, you don't have to give him like 650 plate appearances. If you give him just like 600 plate appearances, um, he's, he's quite a bit more uh, appealing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a great call. Uh, I might have a another red to talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, Noel V. Marte, is, is this a guy where you are, have you been just kind of taking him at ADP? Do you, do you push him up? Um, does he kind of fall into your lap? For me, he's kind of been someone who's just sort of fallen under my lap in a couple of drafts. Early on, he definitely was falling into my lap. That was one of those, like, you looked at, even if you already had a third baseman, you'd, you'd see him on your, the board and like, whoa, okay, well, we're going to adjust things for a minute here. He's now corner infield or a backup third baseman or whatever. It seems like the last few drafts I've been in, you might need to be a slightly more aggressive. As like I said, the word's starting to travel, and you know how it goes in, in, in the content game and everything. The more people start talking about guys and certain people talk about guys, it goes wild. So he's starting to get a little more love on the draft board. I'm, I'm curious – as we get into deeper drafts in like early March, where he goes, but it was falling into my lap when it came to Noel Marte. Now it's more at least at price or maybe like a round early. Yeah. And I did have him ranked again as my number one uh, hitting prospect just for 2024 value on last week's um, rookie hitter tiers 2.0, uh, rookie hitter rankings 2.0, I should say. And uh, 
I'll be re releasing the pitching version of that article uh, after the show today. Um, okay, Bubba, who is the fifth player you wanted to highlight? Okay, so this one I can understand that there's going to be pushback. I'll be I'll be fine on that one, but I put Nelson Velasquez. And if you want to say he won't produce enough to keep his everyday job at DH, okay, we can have a fair discussion there. Maybe Renfro gets more DH time because maybe Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell both force the hand. That's fair. But I think in reality, when you look at the Royals lineup, they need pop. That's why they went and got Renfro. Nelson Velasquez pop is undeniable. Uh, what we saw last year, once he got traded over from Chicago, he had uh, 14 of his 17 home runs in about 40 games with the Royals. He had a 22% barrel rate and an, around 50% hard hit rate in that span. The power is ridiculous. Like, you just can't you know fabricate that. Now, there are some swing and misses. We get that. Average could be an issue. What he does is great. Okay. He'll hit in the middle of the order if he DHs, maybe fifth, give or take, which is which is a plus. Where I differ is if he does find a way to be the quote-unquote regular DH, probably plays 100 and let's say 25 to 30 games. I'll, I'll be fair in that regard. That still blows projections out of the water. They have, both, they have him around 100, 108 games right now, and they have him like sitting below 20 home runs. Like Even if he plays 100 games, I, I could see 20 home runs coming from Nelson Velasquez. So the projections just on the, their projection site – feels low to me. I know they're more cautious and they all take kind of a floor approach with projections. There's just a ceiling that Velasquez can bring to the table late in your drafts as a power source. And if he does creep into 130 games as like a regular DH, this dude is a 35-ish home run guy, in my opinion, maybe more. And um, the projections are a little too cautious on him. Yeah, Velasquez, like you said, he, he came over midseason, only played 40 games for the Royals, but he ranked fifth on the Royals in home runs in those 40 games. Um, crazy. You know, the Rhett, like, so Bobby Witt hits 30 in 158 games. Sal Perez hits 23 in 140 games. Melendez hits 16 in 148 games. Michael Massey hits 15 in 129 games. And then Nelson Velasquez hits 14 in 40 games. Yep. So you're telling me that that guy is going to all of a sudden, like, be in trouble from a playing time standpoint this yeah. year um like i think he he has to just be bad to lose out on the playing time i don't think that they're just gonna not give it to him out of the gate yep 100 with you that's why i think the projections need to be a little more on the boost on that one and, and respect the power a little more like how often are you can hit 14 and 40 games not very often but would you be shocked if he just continue like a uh, you know eight home run a month stretch like that's easily in his wheelhouse it feels like and that's uh yeah very doable to me and I've got Velasquez kind of um, – he's sort of like my backup option. Like I, I prefer Matt Walner straight up, but I have those guys kind of right next to each other as just sort of big-time power options at that point in the draft. Um, you know, you can get both those guys after pick uh, 300. Um, okay, let's uh, let's head to a uh, message from our sponsor here before I get to my five players. Um as I said at the top, we are brought to you by Fantrax. And, you know, Fantrax is just simply the best site for anything Keeper Dynasty related. Um, currently participating in the uh, Baseball America uh, Dynasty Mock Draft, which will be in the BA Mag. Um, of course, we're doing that on Fantrax, uh, really the only option for, for that type of a thing. I've got some first year player drafts that are about to kick off. Of course, those are all going on on Fantrax. Um, you know, not only is it the most kind of user-friendly site when you compare it to some of these sites that have been around for a long time and have never really gotten a true facelift, um, it's got all the players in the pool. And you just 
it's you know we're year 2024 right now we shouldn't be playing on sites for dynasty leagues where you got to send the commissioner an email that you're trying to add a player who's not in the system um let's kind of get with the program get on fan tracks sign up for free today and be entered to win an official mlb signed jersey from vladimir Guerrero jr simply go to fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today that's f-a-n-t-r-a-x.com slash rotowire fantrax the home of fantasy sports we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, Bubba. So, um, you know, don't like you were kind of prefacing the Nelson Velasquez call with, you know, people are going to get mad at me. Um, Like, you know, again, like I said at the top, I'm not even saying like this is definitely wrong, Mm -hmm. but you know, some of these instances I'm going to point to are like, this could be wrong and, and here's why. Um, and I, I teased it a little bit, um, but yeah, I, I'm fully with you on Noel V. Marte um, being under projected in terms of playing time with the Reds. Um, you know, I got to look at, at Christian Encarnacion Strand as well. Uh, I'm not as confident about Encarnacion Strand as I am with um, Noel V. Marte. 
Uh, but this is more just kind of a look at roster resource. And, you know, you have to put somebody from this team on the bench. Uh, they've got Christian Arcanacion Strand just sitting on the bench, not in a platoon. Um, I'm more with where the projection systems are on Encarnacion Strand. And this is just, you know, I wouldn't even say, like, I'm sure Jason Martinez, like, wouldn't say, oh, yeah, I definitely don't think Christian Encarnacion Strand is going to play a role on this team. There's only nine spots on roster resource. you got to put someone on the bench. But I think it should be Jonathan India who's on the bench and Christian Encarnacion Strand in that DH spot um, just is kind of like a, default batting order it's just it's hard for me to picture the guy with the most game power on the entire team um being the guy that just rarely is in the lineup so if you look at the projection systems they're they're kind of closer to where i'm at you know 111 games 100 games um i think that's about right i think that Jonathan India is kind of a, a premium righty bat off the bench. Jake Fraley's a, a premium lefty bat off the bench. And Encarnacion Strand is probably the biggest um, casualty of the guys that are in there most days. But I do think it'll be him who, like, I think Encarnacion Strand plays more than Jonathan India this season. Yeah, this is one of those that I was like anti-strand for like early draft season. I just wanted nothing to do with it. So many questions. Literally about 30 minutes before the show, I just drafted him as my first baseman in the DC because I'm starting to grow to the point that even if he hits his projections, strong numbers, do you want more to DC? Yes. But gives you that flexibility. I think there's also a thing with strand. Maybe at the beginning of the season is frustrating for fantasy managers, but I think by the end of the season, he is the, the dude, like at least the more regular guy, either at DH first base, they find a way to get the bat in the lineup. Kind of like what you were saying. Um, India just signed that really friendly two year deal, really friendly one which makes him easier to trade, in my opinion, kind of more attractive to trade if people want. So, you know, kind of get him out there, show off some of his talents real quick, then you can flip him. That, that's something they've been trying to trade him forever. Now you got a friendly deal in place as well. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, we see Strand kind of be the guy, Encarnacion Strand, by the end. So I'm with you there. Like, at worst, his projection seems, okay, reasonable. But I think there is a definitely, like, an upside appeal to him. So to your point of him just being the lone bench guy seems kind of odd. Um, he can kind of play all over. And one thing I was really impressed with him is, and again, I'm kind of always, I, I'm cautious with younger players. I need to see things first. He hit for average, which really surprised me. Like that was a big boost. When I think like big power, you know, swing guys, I think the average could suffer potentially. It seems more like, like a Torkelson, 233 average. Like, will he be better than that? I Eventually. I thought strength maybe be more in that vein. So the fact he hit for average with the power in that ballpark, I'm with you. I think there's a, a solid floor based on the projections, but there should be a ceiling as well with the, if he does get the playing time that hopefully he does. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I haven't even drafted him yet, but it's not because I see him on the bench on roster resource. Um, So my next guy, and this is, again, this is, I don't know if this is cheating or not, but if you go to roster resource and look at the twins, um, (laughs) Willie Castro is on the bench and he's got the blue shade, which means short side of the platoon. Um, now, he might – like, I could see Willie Castro not starting, like, in three of the first four games of the season for the Twins, for instance. But I do think Willie Castro gets closer to everyday playing time by the end of the season than, you know, whatever, short side of the platoon. Um, like, I look at Byron Buxton. 
Um, you know, he's going to be playing center field again. That's exciting for him. Like he loves playing center field. It, I just don't think that's going to go all that well. Um, you know, that's not going out on a limb. Of course, I wouldn't draft Byron Buxton. I don't think he's going to play every day. Obviously, if you're managing roster resource, you're not going to be like, yeah, Byron Buxton, he, you know, obviously he's going to play while he's healthy, but that's probably not going to last very long. Carlos Correa, another guy who misses time, um, quite often. Alex Kirilov, another guy who misses time quite often. Um, how long is Carlos Santana an everyday player? There's just, you know, Max Kepler is not listed as being in a platoon on here. Um, that, that could be correct as well, but just in general, like Willie Castro is going to play a lot more than the typical guy that you would expect to open the year in the short side of a platoon. Yeah, I, I love Willie Castro. Like even Kyle Farmer, you could almost put a little extra on that as well. But Castro is the preferred option. That's who you're talking about here. So I'm with you on that because it is funny. You look at, you know, Carlos Santana is projected to, to be first base. I think he maybe platoons more with Kirilov at first base. That leads, you know, Buxton to maybe a couple more DHs. Julian could go back to DH where he was going to be before Polanco was even traded and Castro was still going to get his playing time. Like there's, there's so many avenues where like, yeah, they have to build the rosters on roster resource and do this, that, and the other. But like, would anybody be shocked if Castro plays at least 130 games this year? I I wouldn't be. Like, there's so many avenues, and we can't project injuries, like you're saying. But with the Twins, with that roster, you kind of can project injuries on that team. So um, there's a ton of avenues for Willie Castro, and I'm I'm with you there. The speed we saw last year was ridiculous. A little bit of pop, but just where like where he's going, you can project a lot more out of him, like you're saying. So I, I like that call a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think Willie Castro just straight up plays more than Byron Buxton this year. Straight up plays more than Alex Kirilov this year. Um, yep, hundred percent. You know, I I don't take any pleasure saying that about Byron Buxton. It's just it is it is what it, it is. Eventually, you just accept until you prove me differently, type things. And this is kind of one of those moments. Like we'd love, like I think we'd all agree, we'd love to see Buxton play a full season. That'd be awesome. But like it's been that story for how many years now, James? So yeah, as as someone who um, is targeting this twins rotation as early and often as i can i'd love it if Byron Buxton played a full season yep, um, yep, yep. speaking of the twins rotation uh this is this again is it's kind of cheating but um so anthony di scafani listed as the sp5 for the twins um i think he probably would be my pick to open the season as their fifth starter, but I think Louis Varland joins the rotation before the end of April, one way or another. Um, and it's it's going to be very similar, I think, to what happened with Bailey Ober last year. Um, Bailey Ober was someone that was widely available on waivers last year because he wasn't in the rotation. And then he got a spot start. I think it was a Kenta Maeda injury in late April. And then Bailey Ober just takes the rotation job, basically. Um, I think Louis Varland uh, essentially kind of takes Di Scalfani's job from him early in the season. Um, you know, you want to give a veteran like that. I, I think it makes sense to give the veteran the chance to like, hey, Di Scalfani, if you want to have a huge resurgent year, reestablish yourself as a big league starter, great. But I think once he kind of shows that he's not that type of guy, then it's Louis Varland's turn. Yep, I love the Louis Varling call. He's been a target in draft rooms. Uh, we saw signs of it at, at times last year. Kind of struggled, got hurt, whatever you want to angle to go back to AAA. Looked really good at AAA. Um, bullpen work wasn't bad when he came back. And I'm with you. I got someone that's watched Tony Disco for a couple of years. 
like he's a good veteran guy that'll eat innings here and there, but he can't stay healthy either. Like that's just a thing at his age. He's not going to, he's going to have at least one or two IL stints. That's just par for the course now with disco. So he's better like a long man or a spot starter where Louis Varlin could insert into that rotation. And there's also Chris Paddock. Like we haven't seen Paddock throw a full season in a long time. I think we're all rooting for him. We saw the stuff he had last year towards the end, especially out of the bullpen. Very promising. But how far can he go into the season where Barlin can do can go far? We've seen the innings last year. So I'm with you on Louis Barlin. I guess one of those that, you know, my co-host Ryan Bloomfield, Barlin's been popping up on a lot of bloom boards for different uh, stats this year. You mentioned you like the twins rotation. A lot of twins have been popping up on bloom boards this year. They're, They're ridiculous. And Barlin's kind of following that ilk kind of you mentioned bailey ober and some other ones so i i'm with you on louis varland i think he's a guy that should be moving up board you should kind of expect let's can we say 25 starts i'd say 20 for sure but like i like you said by end of april if he's april on we're talking 25 starts and that's a, a tremendous uh, price tag he has then yeah now and in fab leagues that does mean you're drafting a guy that you might not be able to use in early april maybe even in mid-april so you just have to know that, but um, I would say don't shy away from drafting Louis Barland even in Fab Leagues just because you see that he's on the outside looking in on uh, roster resource. Good, good thirtieth round pick. Yeah, yeah, in a in an OC for sure. Yes. Um, okay, let's. I want to stay in the AL Central. Uh, the Tigers third base situation. Ooh, good one. So. Right now, it's on roster resource. It's listed as Zach McKinstry and Andy Abanez um, platooning, essentially. Um, I, they might do that, but if I were running the team, I think there's just way more upside in trying to see what Matt Beerling has as the everyday third baseman. Um, now they could get kind of complicated here with the platoons. They could do um, maybe Ibanez starts at second base against lefties and Colt Keith sits. But again, I, I don't think Colt Keith should be sitting um, against any type of pitcher this year. Like the Tigers should be trying to develop, you know, impactful everyday position players. Um, I think we can rule that out for Zach McKinstry, who's heading into his age 29 season. And if you just do steamer 600 on just how valuable would these guys be if they each got 600 plate appearances, Beerling is almost twice as valuable as McKinstry. I think McKinstry is good for like a win over 600 PAs and Beerling's closer to two wins. Um, I also think it's, it's noteworthy that Beerling, um, I believe was one of the first players acquired by this new regime. So obviously they, they like him. They like his athleticism. Um, and I think this is a guy that could give you like close to 15 homers and 15 steals um, if he was playing a lot. Um, maybe they go with the low upside platoon of Zach McKinstry playing against righties. I just, that's just such a low upside way to go. Like we kind of know what Zach McKinstry is. He's a really solid utility player. He can play all over the field. But, like, do you want to be giving this guy um, starts against every righty at third base? Like, I just I think that's such a low upside move. Um, if you see Veerling projected to be on the bench, you know, he, he might be on the bench. But I think there's a chance that he um, turns into an NBA guy for them. 
Yeah, I'm with you. The 15-15 was the first thing that came to mind for Veerling. And he found his way to 134 games last year. The production, I think we're expecting better production this year, but that was kind of a sporadic in and out thing where if you played every day at third base, the comfort zone, all that good stuff. But he's kind of got that Willie Castro vibe to the Tigers. Like, not going to run a ton, but a guy that should be playing more and be quite productive for you, like you're saying. And um, I believe, yeah, Veerling, he came over from uh, in that Phillies trade, I believe, now that I'm thinking back on it, and that was one of those where people are pretty optimistic when that happened to begin with. So to keep kind of sitting him there would be kind of strange. So I'm with you on Veerling. I got a, a fun one late in drafts. And I believe he's got pretty multi-position eligibility in uh, in uh, the DC formats as well. So that's uh, that's pretty fun. So I'm I'm with you there. Yeah, he's he's three BOF, which is great. Yep. Um, okay, just a, another one. It's it's. Uh, I've got a few quick hitters. I just want to get your take on in a second, but I did just want to say, um, look like Mike Trout, um, you know, all the projection systems have him for over 540 plate appearances. Um, you know, he hasn't gotten over 500 since 2019. And this is going to be the least competitive. The angels have been, um, I mean, not that they're not that they're competitive uh, very often, but like this is going into the season, this is as hopeless as the Angels have been. Um, so, you know, how much do we expect Mike Trout to play through any kind of nagging injuries this year uh, for a team that's going absolutely nowhere? You know, I just think it's you can't responsibly project Mike Trout for over 500 plate appearances. At least I don't think you can. Um, yeah. So, and he's not even as valuable as where he's getting drafted if you do project him for those PAs. So, just I think easy under on Mike Trout's projected playing time. And then on the flip side, uh, I'm going to go way over on Aaron Hicks's projected playing time. Um, I just, you know, he's, he's under 400 plate appearances by pretty much everyone. And not only do I expect Mike Trout to miss a significant time this year, but like Mickey Moniak could be hitting like 170 at the end of April. Uh, Taylor Ward could miss time again. You know, they've got Brandon Jury kind of slotted in at DH right now on on roster resource. I just think Aaron Hicks is going to be playing uh, most days um, by Memorial Day at least. So just two guys where I would go up and down on the projections in the Angels outfield. I could see that. And I actually had a, a listener is DMing me the other day asking about uh, Mike Trout and this, that. I said, you can take your chances if you want. I'm just not there. Like It's almost sadly in that kind of Byron Buxton ilk of, you know, I just don't know what you're going to play for me. It's, it's tough to kind of jump in on that. The Hicks calls fun. Like, and I was just kind of looking at the rest of the roster on the Angels and they're even just playing time projections wise. This is similar to when we started out talking about the Royals. Can you predict like the outfield there? There's so many little pieces like that in Anaheim. Like, do we try to trust Joe Odell again? They haven't predicted for 70 games played. Like, what if he somehow plays 120 and finally finds it? That's a big if, obviously. You mentioned Moniac. There's so many pieces in that Angels um, setup there that makes it really tough. But to your Hicks and your Trout call, Hicks is free in drafts. So that's a fun one if he does reach the projections you're mentioning about, especially outfield. I know this isn't a full-on draft strategy for DCs, but you get another outfielder late, you want – you know, 10 outfielders, nine outfielders, depends on your what your setup is because, as you know, everyone gets hurt 
Like that's just the way it works. Uh, Moniac <laughs> played the uh, the most uh, rabbit foot, you know, lucky rabbit foot card last year when it came to to hitting. So that that regression is expected, like you hinted at. So yeah, Hicks could be a fun one. They sign him for a reason. They have nothing to lose. At worst, they'll want to play him a lot. So if he does strike gold, they can trade him. So that makes Memorial Day make sense as well um, to keep him in that lineup. So uh, I think Aaron Hicks is a is a big one for sure. He was he was also just good with the O's. With the Orioles, yeah. He got out of New York um, and he was fine. Right. Like he works. he was he slashed 275, 381, 425 for a 129 WRC plus with the O's last year. And like if you want to kind of extrapolate out kind of a 15 homer, 12 steal type of pace. Um, so I think he could be useful at least in 15 team leagues at some point. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Like, yeah, very, very cheap, too. Very cheap. Okay, Bubba, I've just got a few quick hitters before we get to our uh, post 380p sleeper starting pitchers. Um, I know this might not be very, very fun to say, but I can picture the Guardian starting Kyle Manzardo at AAA. Um, yep. You know, it, I wouldn't do it if I were running the Guardians. He would not start at AAA, but they are just so cheap that getting the extra year of, of um, team control by starting him for three, week, three weeks at AAA, I think it's at least a 50% chance. Um, I've also mentioned in my rookie hitter rankings article that it's so rare that um, first basemen are worth their like final years of arbitration that it's just I wouldn't be playing those games with Manzardo. But, um, you know, they, they could do it. Uh, they could go with Gabriel Arias at first base and like Will Brennan up, who's currently projected to be in the minors by roster resource. So just be careful with Kyle Manzardo. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's one thing I've been kind of preaching. And the other factor is not just they're cheap. They wouldn't got De La Santos in the Rule Five draft, so it's just like another power bat they 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 have yeah. to have on the bench, or they yeah. lose them. And so it's it's a corner infield power bat that makes like if you want to quote unquote think platoon, like they have him look like they projected a platoon with Menzardo on roster resource. But you know you can move Josh Naylor to first base, and there's just so many moving parts there that I think that's another thing working against Menzardo at least early on is they have to give De La Santos a chance to at least make the team and go from there, which makes things complicated as well. Yeah, so I'm again not saying he's gonna start at AAA, but just don't if he gets sent to AAA don't in surprised. <laughs> late May don't or late March, don't be like, holy crap, I thought he was gonna be up. Like yeah. he might not be up. Um another quick one, you know, I know everyone's assuming Emmett Sheehan's the guy in the fifth spot, but I'm I'm curious to see what Gavin Stone looks like in, in spring training. Um just don't take Emmett Sheehan just being like he's definitely the fifth guy till Walker Bueller's in there. Gavin Stone could be really good in spring training. He finished really strong. Wouldn't rule that one out. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? No, nope, 100%. That's something the Dodgers have done year in and year out. Like with at least one of their roster spots, they always have, it feels like three or four like young arms, and they'll let them see who the hot guy is leaving yeah. camp, especially with the like you have Yarbrough, if worst comes to worst. You mentioned Bueller. Like there's guys coming soon. So they always like to use that young arm and see who's hot and go with it. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a meritocracy in spring training between between those two. Um, do you think Jazz Chisholm and Jesus Sanchez are both going to be platoon this year? No, I, I just like if if they're healthy and they're doing their thing, it's just annoying. Like like Chisholm, we've seen move down the order when a lefty's on the mound. But you like why you're the Marlins? What are we doing here? If we're taking them out of the order, that's just ridiculous. Sanchez, if you want to, like I could see maybe an angle, but you know. 
looking at their options right now on the bench, Sanchez is better than all of them. So yeah, it, it, in reality, Chisholm and Sanchez should be staying there. Yeah. So with with Jazz, like I know he's been bad against lefties, but he's they just have such little position player talent. Pulling the plug on him against lefties this early in his career, I just don't see it happening. And then you mentioned the guys on the bench. Like, yeah, I could see Jesus Sanchez getting platooned um, for maybe like Dane Myers, but I can't see him getting platooned for Vidal Brujan or Jonathan Davis. Exactly. And both those guys are out of options, which I, I understand. But like, if those are the guys that make the bench, I just can't picture them sitting Sanchez against every lefty. Yep. Um, do you buy DJ Stewart as a strong side platoon bat for the Mets? That's a fun one because uh, even the powers, he had his moments last year. This is the nicest way I'll say it. I would like Mark Vientos to play every single day at DH. That's the dude I would love to be there. I'm pretty sure that's where we're going with this conversation. Um, everyone likes to see the lefty-righty thing. That's the name of the game. I'm going to say no. I'll give Mark Vientos the edge in that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – I. I looked into DJ Stewart's production and, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be necessarily, but um, he had a 61% pull rate last year. Yeah. He ran good. <laughs> he ran real good. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't call it streaky as much as it feels like, but he ran real good for a decent amount of time. I would think if pitchers know that you're trying to pull the ball that much that they could probably get you out. Um right. But yeah, like you said, um, he was running pretty good last year. The projections do not have him um, performing at a at a pace that would uh, deserve that much playing time, especially down at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. And the Steamer 600 projections do like Vientos more than Stewart. So just thought I'd point that one out. And then uh, one last one. I just want to double check that Roster Research still has this. Um, Roster Resource has Nick Lodolo opening in the minors, um, which I under I would understand them going that route. Um, I just think it's worth pointing that out to people. Um, you know, he's not you know, he didn't didn't stack innings last year. He's dealt with uh, a ton of injuries, back back issues. Most um, are the most concerning thing for me going forward. But um, you know, if you're taking Nick Lodolo, just be aware that you might not be able to use him. Um, early in the season. I don't know if you've – have you heard anything on that, on what they're going to do with Lodolo to start year? No, we literally, we literally had our, our SP3 preview last night, and Lodolo was a topic of conversation because Bloomfield loves Nick Lodolo. And um, we talked about the projection – or Ross Resource having him in the minor leagues. And I think it's more of a wait-and-see thing through camp. Like, if he's looking good, maybe it's like him versus Graham Ashcraft, him versus uh, Abbott type thing. Otherwise, maybe they let him keep getting uh, good because it was it wasn't an arm injury. So if he's looking good, he probably he probably gets a spot. I'd imagine. Yeah. So just more more something to just kind of be aware of. Uh, I'm not. I don't really have a a dog in this fight, but um, just something to be aware of. Okay, uh, Bubba. As I kind of teased earlier, uh, this is going to be the final edition of my post 380p sleeper series. Save starting pitching for last. Uh, so we're both going to pick one starting pitcher with a 2024 ADP after 300 in NFBC 15-team draft and hold leagues that we think is the best value. Uh, I kind of gave you a list of guys that are going in the 300 to 400 range, but if you want to go deeper than that, um, you're welcome to. And I'm sure, like me, there's there's plenty of these guys that you like, but um, does, does anyone stand out to you? 
Um, yeah, I, I just stuck to this list because we're like, well, yeah, we could have gone on yeah. for a long time in DCs. But uh, I think Chase Silseth. I know it's a popular name that'll be mentioned in this like area, this pocket of starting pitchers. But we saw a lot from Silseth. First off, I like the fact he did this at age 23, so there can still be more developments here. And he threw uh, close to 100 innings last year, which is also big for me. And uh, finished with a 3.96 ERA. But what, what I really enjoyed seeing out of Silseth was the change from the first half to the second half as he got better and better, you know, a three, two, one ERA in the second half in 33 innings compared to the 18 innings in the first half. So it wasn't like a ton of innings, but it was more dominating innings is what uh, really, really stood out to me. And the second half had almost a 30% strikeout rate, a 20.4% K to walk. Uh, he was just the, the pitch mix changes he made from the first half to the second half were tremendous. And these are gains I think we can make. And it's something we saw with the Angels, like Detmers had his little window of changes and it kind of ended rough. Canning finished phenomenally. Um, so this is something maybe, maybe with the new coaching staff and regime in here, things can change. But Silseth is a guy that I'll be uh, circling as a as a later round DC target. Yeah, I I haven't ended up with him yet, but I, I love the pitcher. Um, it's more just kind of being scared of the pitcher wins aspect with him. But yeah, there shouldn't be many. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really the the only knock though. Like I I agree with everything you said. Like he's a very talented young pitcher. Um, I think the the ratios will be solid. Um, you know you're probably gonna sit him. You know for like the Astros and the Rangers. But um, yeah, I think like for a DC, like you said, uh, my guy is actually going right next to Silseth, and he's someone I'm drafting for the wins, and that's Dean Kramer. Um. You know, he's he's boring, like he's not uh, a guy that people are projecting to like be a massive breakout this year. Uh, but I think he gets you 170, 180 innings for maybe the best team in the American League. Um, another 100 win season seems to be in the cards um, to me, just given how uh, absolutely loaded they are at every single position. And he won 13 games last year. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a there's a chance for 15 wins from Dean Kramer, and he's going at pick uh, 336 on average. So I uh, love a bunch of guys in this this range, but I think Kramer is my most rostered uh, MLB starting pitcher. Yep, I love the Kramer shout-out. One thing you mentioned that I really like, it's harder to find the deeper into these drafts you go, are the innings. He threw over 170 innings last year, so he's like ready to rock and roll, barring something crazy. You mentioned the team context. Yeah, there's a lot to like about Kramer. Maybe pitches outside of Tropicana in the friendliest pitching environment in uh, the East, all things considered. So, yeah, there, there is a lot to like there with, with Dean Kramer. I can't, can't deny that at all. Bubba. This has been awesome. Why don't you let the listeners know where they can uh, follow your work and all the all the podcasts you're pumping out? Uh, just follow me on the X or the Twitter, whatever you call it these days, at BDentric. You get everything tweeted out there. But Bench with Bubba a couple times a week. Uh, James has been on that show a few times, which is he's one of my most actually most uh, guest uh, people on there, which is great. Uh, Bubba in the Bloom twice a week with Ryan Bloomfield, who everybody knows in the industry. Great guy, great analyst. And then just, uh, you know, fantasy pros picture list and i got my own Substack, casey but i have a ton of things so just go check out twitter and you'll get it all there yeah man you are you and rob di pietro are probably the most active podcasters in the biz uh really respect it respect the grind Thanks. um and really appreciate you taking the time to, to hop on with me man this is absolutely great yeah. um Anytime. Been, yeah thanks bubba this has been the uh, rotowire fantasy baseball podcast brought to you by fan tracks i have another episode on wednesday 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.